All right, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Heal Thyself, the first episode of 2021. Thank you so much for making another year for a show that is really hopefully bringing you a lot of empowerment, hopefully bringing you a lots of real, real education around things that you may not have known of. That's the whole point. And, uh, and bringing that to your loved ones and spreading that exponentially. That's the goal of the whole show. It's been it since we began now going on two years, which went by really fast, actually. Wow. But yeah, we're 88 episodes in and we are, we are really proud to be bringing this to all of you. It is, it is really a beautiful legacy to leave this. So as always, let's start the show with this knowledge bomb. We're going to be going into seasonal affective disorder, the depression that ensues when the sun goes down, the days get shorter, something that I absolutely suffered with when I was living on the East Coast, especially in my last years when I was there. Then I'm going to go over in the product review section, my bundle. What are the number one things that I would use for winter wellness, particularly because it's starting to get colder, more and more people are starting to get sick. So some of my favorite things to do to protect yourself. And our special guest, Ashley Stahl, will be in here talking about how to find your passion, how to find what job is best for you based on your skill set. So it's going to be a really important listen because she's so dynamic and enthusiastic about her work and it's going to be an amazing conversation. So without further ado, let's get to our first knowledge bomb of 2021. Seasonal affective disorder. My goodness, this has hit me like a ton of bricks every single year. One minute I'm playing frisbee on the beach and I'm glowing like a Himalayan salt lamp. And then the next minute I'm in my sweatpants and a hoodie doing work in a dark room next to a space heater, thinking about how much I miss summer. So it really, really would hit me. It's really characterized as a fall and winter depression with a spring and summer remission. Man, I would remember on campus when it would be the first really full week where we'd have the sun and I would put my windows down and I'd blast music and I would feel renewed immediately. Within that one week, all of that heaviness would be gone and I would be back because I knew that the sun was out, life was back. And that was really how I was characterized with the seasonal affective disorder because I knew over time something was wrong when the, the sun went down, the days were shorter. I felt like crap. I felt heavy. I felt no energy. I felt very poor motivation. I felt just not as lifelike as I was in the spring and the summer. So it usually begins in early adulthood, which is true for me. It began around 24 years old until I moved out at like 30 uh, or 31. But growing up in New Jersey, New York, this was, this was it, right? You know, in the East Coast, you endure those winters. If you, if you, you, if you know, you know, right? Uh, schooling in Connecticut, living in Pennsylvania. Yeah, for 31 years, uh, it was until really 24 to 31 where I moved out and I started feeling better coming into the West Coast because I was getting that constant sunlight. And for me, I was always thinking about, is it particularly influenced by my equatorial uh, generational ancestry, right? Growing up or having my family coming from Ecuador and Puerto Rico, it might be that we genetically need the sun more than people who have evolved and, and uh, have ancestry in higher latitudes. Something to think about. We don't really truly, truly know that. We know uh, the seasonal affective disorder does affect folks in higher latitudes. And I'll talk about a little bit about more that a little bit more about that later. But as human beings, you know, I talk about this all the time. We need sun. There's no doubt about it. The sun is life, and seeing UV light every single day is essential to health, particularly in the mornings. First thing in the morning, really stimulating that cortisol awakening response. Seeing that sun is so so important. Put you putting your feet on the ground. And then hopefully we can always see the sunset. Now that's harder in the winter. I know that, but really what I'm trying to um, push for people is to get that exposure. Now I remember when I was in my residency, I'd wake up, it was dark. When I came home from the residency, it was dark. But I really made sure that I got out of the hospital as much as I can to take a walk touch the ground and see light. Even if it was midday light, I always wanted to be getting as much sun as possible. Uh, and that really went a long way, those short bursts of sun. So in the places where the sun isn't always shining, the days become short, the nights become really cold, sun exposure goes down and we feel it. We feel it profoundly and I know I did. Seasonal affective disorder is more of a spectrum. Some folks really, really feel it and some do more slightly. It may be a genetic thing. There are some genes associated with it. Um, but seasonal affective disorder or SAD, SAD for short is appropriately named. So what we know is this, and this is from, uh, it was, it was really informative, the Mayo Clinic, um, article on it. 
Seasonal affective disorder is a type of depression that's related to changes in the season. Seasonal affective disorder uh, begins and ends about the same time every single year. So that's already a telltale sign. If, it, if there's onset, you know around this time of year you feel the same way and then you get better around this time of year, it's likely seasonal affective disorder. If you're like most people with seasonal affective disorder, your symptoms start in the fall and continue into the winter. They get really mad, but really bad in the winter. And then they sap your energy and they make you feel moody. And that was me. I was tired, I was moody, I was heavy all the time. Kind of like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, which is interesting because you contrast that with summer me or my natural tigger state, right? If, if you know, you know, right? Winnie the Pooh. Uh, an estimated 10 to 20% of recurrent depression cases follow that seasonal pattern. And considering there's about 17.3 million people in the United States that are suffering from depression, that's a big amount of people, massive amount of people who have seasonal affective disorder, about 3 million. So in a study from Psychiatry Journal, we see that it states, in the United States community surveys, seasonal affective disorder prevalence ranges from about 9.7% of folks in New Hampshire, right, Northeast, to 1.4% in Florida, which is interesting, right? Because now we start understanding that in North America in particular, seasonal affective disorder prevalence increases with that increase in latitude. So what are some of the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder? In most cases, seasonal affective disorder uh, appears during the late fall and early winter, as I mentioned, and it doesn't go away till really the sunnier days of spring and summer. But less commonly, people with the opposite pattern have symptoms that begin in the spring or summer and get better in the winter. It's, it's much less common, actually. Um, but remember, one of the telltale signs of these seasonal affective disorders is onset at a very particular time every single year and remission, or you're feeling better at a particular time of year. So even if I'm talking about getting worse in the fall in the winter, you yourself might get better in the fall or winter. So pay close attention to that because that also can be seasonal affective disorder. But in either case, symptoms may start out as mild and become more and more severe as the season progresses. So what, what are some things that you may feel? As per that Mayo Clinic article, we see feeling depressed most of the day. It could be all day, actually. Losing interest in activities you once enjoyed, having low energy, for sure that was me, having problems sleeping, experiencing changes in your appetite or weight, feeling sluggish or agitated, that was me, having difficulty concentrating, feeling hopeless, worthless, or guilty, or even having frequent thoughts of death or suicide. I never got that bad, but if it does, for you, really important to start seeking professional help because this can get worse if you're not really nipping it in the bud early on, okay? So where, how, why does this come, right? We don't know entirely, we're not really clear fully, but there are some inklings at what we're seeing at maybe the possible different mechanisms behind it in the research. So when it comes to solutions, or really why this begins, we can look no further than light therapy. It's one of the best studied and established modalities for helping this. So we had a recent meta-analysis that looked at light therapy, and they found that there was a dose-response relationship between light therapy intensity and the degree of improvement in typical depressive symptoms, right? So basically, the more light therapy you're getting, the better you are. And you may or may not be familiar with this. I actually bought one a long time ago. I believe it was called a happy light. It's a lamp box and has fluorescent bulbs with really intense lux, right? That, that luminous intensity. It's about 10,000 lux. And I spoke about Lux when it comes to disruption of melatonin when, uh, when I was doing the uh, sun and the light show. But the recommended daily duration when you use this light is about 30 minutes to two hours per day for two to four weeks. Um, and always I recommend doing that in the morning. It's very important because if you do it at night, 100% it's gonna affect your circadian rhythm. And it's really, really important to get good sleep when you're suffering from seasonal affective disorder. So what is this implying? What is the reason? Because we can see if the light therapy is helping, then there has to be a connection between different mechanisms of why we're affected by this. Now, that one of the core beliefs in seasonal affective disorder is the neurotransmitter model, which we use a lot to, to intervene with just classic depression. Neurotransmitters are uh, particularly serotonin and dopamine are thought to be affected. Now, if you think about it this way, the sun increases serotonin, right? You get, you get in a better mood, you're stabilized mood. It's a brain happy chemical. And uh, when it's activated, we feel good. In the winter, serotonin drops off, right? So the sun is really giving us more and more serotonin. 
And we know serotonin increases when, we, when the sun hits us because when serotonin is high, we're usually not hungry. And I don't know a lot of us who really want to eat a buffet meal when we're on the beach. And that's why, because serotonin is really high. Dopamine is the other uh, neurotransmitter. It's the reward chemical. You know, let's say, let's say you get a like on Instagram or something. That's the, that's the ding that, that you feel. That's the reward chemical. But both of those are linked to depression. Uh, so the thought is that they play a major role in seasonal affective disorder as well. So not only are we getting less sun, but also we're getting less luminosity, right? Less intensity. So less sun, less intensity from the sun. So we're going to have a drop-off on serotonin and dopamine. Now, a lot of people don't feel that drop-off very much so. They're pretty resilient or genetically really strong for that. Some of us, like me, are very sensitive to that drop-off. So we really feel when, when those neurotransmitters are reducing into a level that could, in essence, or in theory, uh, start really provoking the, uh, the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder. So... Uh, how do we increase serotonin? Exercise, movement, uh, spending more time in nature, meditation uh, for increasing dopamine, doing having a tasks, having a, having a list and completing tasks, so checking off tasks are going to be a really important way. You can really start feeding those. I'm going to give you a little bit more tangible stuff too. Um, the other thought is hormones, the imbalance of hormones, and we think about how how tightly wound hormones are to circadian rhythm. So let's put those together because the belief is circadian rhythm, dysregulation, and hormones are really behind seasonal affective disorder as well. Now, if you think about it this way, the sun is giving our body signals. Those signals are responding in very particular biological clock. Those rhythms are telling our hormones to go up and to go down and then back down and then back up. So the more fluorescent indoor lights you're getting, the less grounding you're getting, your circadian rhythm is going to be off. Think about it. Naturally, when the sun is out, we tend to be outside more. We tend to, to take off our shoes more, right? We're getting those signals from earth, right? That, that, that electrical chemical signal going through our body through grounding, right? Think about the beach. You're barefoot on the beach. You're walking around in the grass. Those signals are helping our body know what time it is, where it is, how it is. The sun is telling, going through our eyes, going to our brain, telling our whole body, about where we are. So circadian dysregulation, all of a sudden, winter comes, you're indoors. You got your shoes on. You got your coat on. You got fluorescent lights on. So the dysregulation, it, 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 I do believe that there's a huge component when it comes to circadian dysregulation, and that's leading to hormonal dysregulation. Because now, a lot of us are waking up, opening the door, putting our feet on the ground, seeing the sun. That's not happening because mid middle of winter, Although I am pushing for a lot of you to step outside, see the sun, or see it, even if the sun's not out, getting the the UV spectrum of light in the morning is very important. So, uh, if your doctor allows it, you have no circulation issues. Get outside, put your feet on the ground. I was just back home last week, had my feet in the snow. I was seeing the sun every single day. That's helping circadian rhythms, and then it's helping promote better hormonal balance. Right. So, what else? There's, there's a, there may be a genetic component, as I mentioned before, the genetic polymorphisms. What they found is that there are particular genes that may have a physiological effect or how the receptor region in the gene is responding to neurotransmitters. So basically, those who may have a genetic polymorphism can have the expression or reduced expression of receptors to very particular neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. So that could be part of it too. Exercise, we know exercise is super helpful. We saw that aerobic exercise at 75% of your heart rate was found to have a similar benefit as light therapy. So really important, it doesn't matter any sort of depression, exercise is, is optimal, it's paramount. Getting outside, moving. Now, for folks with seasonal affective disorder, exercise during bright, under bright light of 25,000 to 40,000 lux was found to be more beneficial than doing it in dimmer light. So um, if, you have a, if you're working out in your basement, middle of the winter, in the middle of Connecticut, um, it might behoove you to really add some more luminous light uh, to help you and seasonal affective disorder. Really important, dietary-wise, if you suffer from depression or seasonal affective disorder, anti-inflammatory diet. Really, really important to have your gut health optimal and also brain health optimal because there is an absolute connection between gut health, leaky gut, brain health, leaky brain. So, so, so important because my belief is the onset of all depression has a component with an inflammation of the brain. So you want to eat anti-inflammatory foods, take all that crap out. And a lot of us are predisposed all of a sudden in the winter, 
to start eating more crappy foods, right? Where the holidays come, more crappy foods. Uh, maybe New Year's, your resolution is to eat better. You eat better for a few weeks and then get back to eating crappy foods because it's cold, you're hibernating. But really, if you suffer from seasonal affective disorder, this is such an important time to start implementing real, whole, anti-inflammatory foods, a spectrum, all the colors of the rainbows, fruits, vegetables, nutrient-dense food is going to be the most important thing, okay? Now, for me, my secret for reducing that seasonal affective disorder, for feeling better, what I found actually for the last few years, when it was getting worse and worse and worse, it got better once I started supplementing vitamin D. Now, me, I have a pretty dark tone. Uh, so folks with darker skin pigmentation need more sun daily and cumulative throughout the whole summer to store that vitamin D so it can last them through the fall, so it can last them through the winter, right? So me, I, I, I likely wasn't getting enough sun uh, during the summer. I needed more to build up that, that storage, that reservoir of vitamin D to carry me through. And I know it because I remember getting my blood work one, I think it was November or December back in like 2011. And uh, my vitamin D was like 20 nanograms per milliliter. And it should be around 40 to 60 always. What I found was when I started supplementing it and I retested around February, it already boosted up to like 45, 50. And I was feeling so much better. So ask your doctor if vitamin D is going to be really good for you because it can be it could be amazing. It changed my seasonal affective disorder more than anything. I didn't even use the light anymore. I was exercising. I was sleeping well. I was meditating. But I think vitamin D for me, I was already eating anti-inflammatory diet. Vitamin D for me was really, really good. Okay. And um, lastly, if, if, if need be, therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy was found uh, for, to be very helpful for seasonal affective disorder, especially when it's coupled with light therapy. So 90 minute sessions twice per week over six weeks, 12 sessions total in a group format was found to be really helpful for this too. So there you go. If you suffer from seasonal affective disorder, here are some really awesome recommendations. Talk to your doctor about, really look into that because none of us should feel heavy. None of us should feel low energy. None of us should have mood changes just because the sun goes down and the days get shorter and the days get colder, okay? So uh, really hope that helped you out. I really wanna get into this winter wellness bundle. My favorite things, basic stuff to take during the fall and during the winter. All right, everyone, I want to share with you my winter wellness bundle. Really important supplements to ask your doctor about to take during the winter to really protect yourself. So during the summer, I don't take a lot of these. But once it starts getting cold and the days get shorter uh, and the sun is out less, I really start supplementing, especially if I start feeling crappy, I up many of these. So I want to start off with vitamin A. Vitamin A is really important one because it's an antiviral, uh, helps stimulate your immune system. What you wanna do, and this is the one that I have by Thorne, what you wanna do is make sure it's retinol palmitate. That's the preformed vitamin A, okay? Um, ask your doctor about the dosage, uh, but your doctor should tell you that a woman should never exceed 10,000 IU, particularly if you're getting pregnant. So this is the one I use. I also like the one by Pure and Vital Nutrients. Vitamin D. So I brought two types. Here's one that I just ended up getting from Whole Foods when I was away from home. This is the one by Jaro, but I also have a liquid one. Uh, this is from Claire Labs. Vitamin D is super, super important for immune modulation, autoimmune disease, uh, stimulating or supporting the immune system with an infection. So ask your doctor about possibly taking a high dose of vitamin D if you do come down with something. Um, for capsules, I like Thorn Pure, Vital Nutrients. Really, you want vitamin D3, the activated form. That's it. Um, so any, any company that has that. The liquid form I also like because one drop, for in, uh, say, for example, this one, one drop is 1,000 IU, right? So if I need to really go up, like, 10,000 or 20,000, it's not much. I'm not taking 20 capsules. So it makes it easy for high dose when it comes to liquids. So this is, I like this one by Claire Labs. I also have one by Quicksilver at home. So vitamin C, I didn't bring with me, but vitamin C, super important, classic, a go-to for everyone. Really, really good when it comes to not only supporting and stimulating the immune system, but if you think about our lungs, they have these white blood cells called macrophages, and macrophages, are they gobble up all of the crap in our body, right, from debris to bacteria. Macrophages are like the Pac-Man of our lungs, and our lung health is really much so dependent on these. Now, in macrophages, 
they're very much so concentrated with vitamin C. So vitamin C is essential for this very important white blood cell to function correctly, particularly in our lungs. So the two that I like is liposomal C from Quicksilver. Actually, it's the one that I like, liposomal C from Quicksilver. It's the one that I have at home, okay? Melatonin. This one in particular, I would uh, more than anything ask your doctor, although I want you to ask about all of them if you, if you plan on taking them, um, because not all folks do well with melatonin. Uh, it can give a small percent of us vivid dreams. So I don't take melatonin because that reason, because I do have vivid dreams and my sleep gets disrupted with melatonin, but it has been sh shown to support the immune system. Uh, and think about it, when we're sleeping, cortisol is low, melatonin's high. What happens when we're sleeping? That's when we regenerate, when we repair, when our immune system is scavenging and surveillancing, killing cancer cells. So really important melatonin as an overall anti-pathogen, uh, antiviral, antibacterial, but also anti-inflammatory. So melatonin, really, really important for winter wellness. Glutathione, I have here with me two types. I have the capsule, liposomal capsule form from Pure, and I have the Quicksilver lipo liposomal, the liquid one. Really, really important for lung health as well. As I was talking about vitamin C, really important for lung health and very, very much so important for liver health. So glutathione is an important go-to just to keep those storages, right? The master antioxidant, keeping those stores high throughout the winter, super, super important. What else do I have? I have some zinc. Obviously, this is like a classic with vitamin C. Zinc, this is 30 milligrams from uh, pure encapsulation. And zinc has been shown and it's been found in white blood cells to be an important com component, just like vitamin C, to help stimulate uh, the immune system and help kill all those buggers in your body, right? So really, really important, love, love zinc. Make sure that you talk to your doctor about how much you should take because too much zinc can offset the copper balance in your body, right? It's like a little seesaw between copper and zinc. So make sure you're not overdoing it and asking your doctor how much to take. Probiotics, the one that I have right now is the one by Megaspore. This is a spore biotic, uh, different, uh, what is this, four or five different types of uh, bacillus probiotics. So really important, uh, optimizing gut health in the winter through food, prebiotics, probiotics. Uh, but this is from a company, Microbiome Labs, that literally just focuses on the gut. So they have some of the best of the best. Love this one. And then we have the two mushrooms. I love mushrooms when it comes to our immune system. They contain something called beta-glucans, which is a polysaccharide, which stimulates our immune system. So here I have uh, the tinctures of turkey tail and shiitake. I also have reishi at home. This is by Lifecycle. So it's a little winter wellness bundle. Now, I don't use these every single day. Maybe I do some, um, but certainly if I'm feeling crappy or something's coming on and I'm run down, this is like pretty much so my go-to. This is my go-to team that, I, go, that I, I look for when I'm feeling like crap. Now, if you're looking for these and you wanna get high quality ones, go to SwellScore. You may, you may have mentioned, heard me talk about it on Instagram. It's my uh, side gig where I'm a co-founder and SwellScore. We, we carry most of, if not all of these, we, I know we don't carry the life cycle ones yet. We're working with those, we're bringing on more companies, but most of these you'll find on there anyway. Make sure you get high quality ones, but regardless, that's a winter wellness bundle. Make sure you talk to your doctor and always remember supplements are not the go-to. Supplements are the, just that, a supplement to a healthy diet. Diet first, then supplements. Really hope this helped. Cannot wait to get our special guest in here. Ashley's gonna blow you away when it comes to her, her expertise, the way she looks at uh, criteria for, for finding our passion, finding where we're supposed to be. So I'm really excited to learn. I know I'm gonna learn about, a lot about myself and I hope you all are too. All right, all right. Today's special guest, very special one as always, Ashley Stahl. Well, listen, she was working in counterterrorism, believe it or not. I feel like this is the only guest that I can ever say that for, but it's awesome because now she's become an author. She's become a career coach, career advisor, and basically having you find your passion is one of the most important things you can do. So I, I love that she's here. I love you, that you're here. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Did you like that intro? Yeah, that was perfect. The only thing is that I have a whole TED Talk on don't follow your passion. Ooh, okay. So yeah. let's go start with that. What does that even mean, don't follow your passion? Now? Yeah, I find that it's interesting. There's this thing called the Google Engram. Mm -hmm. And basically what it does, if you look it up, is it tracks a statement or a phrase in the social conversation because Google is the social conversation. Mm -hmm. And it shows follow your passion from the 1980s into the millennium, like flying up in the rails 
meaning from a data standpoint that it started being becoming a part of culture and the conversation that we have. Mm -hmm. But I think what's missing around following your passion is like, I'm passionate about cupcakes and traveling, but uh. if you put me in a five-star hotel and I'm the chef, it's going to be a train wreck. Mm -hmm. You know, I love massages. Like I'm passionate, you know, there's so many passions I have that I'm not skilled at. And so my big thing as a career expert is how can you get clarity on what your skills are, what you have as a natural gift. And a lot of people have many natural gifts. So I think part of the game is figuring out which one do you enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there's many different ways to express a skill set. And so for me, I'm all about, okay, your passion matters, but it's a backdrop. Um, if you're passionate about sports, you're still going to be using a core skill set at a mm -hmm. sports company. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, you really want to get clear on what that is before you straight up just lead with what you're passionate about. Yeah, I can be passionate about accounting, but I'm really not good at the math, that yeah. good at math. So maybe it just won't work that way. Well, maybe I should be a chef and you should be an accountant and we're just going to fall apart together. We can, we can <laughs> yeah. fall apart. We can have our businesses fall to the ground, but we'll be passionate about doing it. Exactly, which is the problem, I think, yeah. for a lot of people. Is yeah, that, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, okay, so then I guess the conversation should go to skill set then. Mm -hmm. How do we identify our skill set? We could because we can love something, we can really be drawn to something, but how do we identify that skill set? What are our God-given talents that we're coming here to express? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is just understanding that clarity comes from engagement. It doesn't come from thought. And so many people right now, I, I read that around 71% of the workforce at any given time, especially before COVID was on the job hunt. And to me as a career expert, that means that people aren't just looking for a new job because they want to grow. I think they're looking to scratch an itch because something doesn't feel right. And so they're not necessarily job hunting. I think they're clarity hunting. Mm -hmm. And so it starts to me with kind of knowing where do you light up? Where do people feel like you're adding value? And a great question to start off with is asking people who know you, maybe two colleagues, two good friends, two family members, uh, and texting them, I like the texting because you can read their answer and kind of sit with it. Uh, you can ask them something like, when have you seen me at my best? Or if you could borrow me for a whole day in your career, what would you use me for? These sorts of questions, I think, shed insight for someone on how are people experiencing you? Because according to research, this exists in relationships too. Apparently our friends know if we're going to get a divorce way before we do. So it's the same thing with your career. I think people are very informative when they can share with you what they see in you. And so the question to ask yourself once you get that feedback is what skill am I using when it comes to what they've shared? And I've also identified in my book 10 core skill sets that exist in the workforce. And I always remind people as they're looking through these 10 core skill sets, make sure that you realize that each one is not just a skill or an, on a tactical level, but an energy it, it, each skill has an energy to it and how you're using your time. And mm. so that's something to also consider. Interesting. Interesting that uh, we have the people around us who have a better insights on parts of us that we don't even know about. Um, so I love the, the fact that we can ask our loved ones uh, about how they would use us in at work for 24 hours or what they see in us. We had a, uh, a guest here a few weeks ago. His name was Chase Tuning. Mm. And he's a health coach, but he was, he was in the service. And he said for years, people were like, we love your voice. We love listening to you. And he's like, okay. But he really has a great radio and podcast voice. <laughs> and they're like, hello and welcome yeah, yeah. to Heal Thyself. Welcome to Heal Thyself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then, and I told him when I first met him, I was like, oh my God, that podcast voice. Mm -hmm. And it took him years for him to listen. But his loved ones were like, we want to hear more from you. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because it's like, what do people recognize in yeah. you that sometimes is just normal to you that you're just like, oh, well, I do that. You That's know? the thing is usually what's obvious to you is so obvious you can't notice that it's actually a skill set. And I think mm -hmm. that's part of it. So for example, with these 10 core skill sets, uh, my first job when I was 16 was working at a preschool, oddly as the like kitchen person, like helping out, you know, I think I was making like $8 an hour or whatever minimum wage was forever mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day I saw a flyer and it had a typo in it. 
And I've always been good at words. Like I was like the second place, you know, not first place, which I'm going to let go of, but second place spelling bee champion uh -huh. in like fifth grade. Uh -huh. And so I remember seeing this typo and going to the front desk and saying, hey, you guys have typos in your flyers. And from there on out, they were like, you're our little eagle eye mm. of the preschool. Mm -hmm. And so I would work in the kitchen and then they would always have me come up to the front desk and help them edit little things. And that's the thing about core skill set. One of the 10 is words. And that's my core skill set. And it was shining through even if a job had no reason to be using it. And I think mm -hmm. that's when you kind of know you have a core skill set. And everybody has one. Okay. So this is, let's go into these core skill sets. Scores. Oh my God. What is this? Core skill sets. Core my skill friend. sets. Yeah. Well, mine, mine is not talking apparently. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, words is one. So what is it like? Like recognizing words, writing words, mm -hmm. putting words together. Yeah. So being that it's an energy, I think one question to ask yourself as I go through these 10 is are you an introvert or an extrovert? I know there's a lot of research on ambiverts, mm -hmm. but there's so many different ways to use skills. And I think if you express it externally, it's going to look one way versus internally. So the words core skill set uh, could be used, you know, whether you're a writer, whether you're a speaker, whether you're a salesperson, you work in business development. Uh, there's so many different ways to use words. Mm -hmm. And I think that introvert extrovert dynamic is really important for me. I do a lot of keynote speeches and I really enjoy doing it, but I get really tired after and it's because I'm a bit introverted. And so uh, I can't probably spend a hundred percent of my career all the time doing keynotes. It doesn't really honor that, that piece of my core skill set. I find that too. Yeah. After, after like two podcast recordings, I'm like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, you're I spent. need a break. I got to eat, mm -hmm. you know, cause you utilize all that energy. Um, all right. What's another one? Okay. So the first one I would say is innovation. So okay. Again, this is an energy. So that's the startup founder. That is the intrapreneur within a company. You're going to usually see this person rise into the ranks as the second in command. They're usually a highly creative self-starter. Uh, maybe they run their own portfolio business under the umbrella of a company or they created the company. Uh, but innovation, I think, is a skill set that everybody has somewhat inside of them, but definitely not everybody's primary core skill set. Mm -hmm. Innovation's good. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can see that and I can even think of people who are like um, quietly innovative yeah. within the company. They're just like the creative mind behind everything. Exactly. Maybe and not at the forefront. Yeah. Right? They're the mastermind, like Pinky and the Brain. Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> Wait, which one was that then? Who was it? Brain, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not Pinky. Not Pinky doesn't sound yeah, as promising. Pinky was, yeah, he wasn't as promising. Uh, all right, all right. What else we got? Um, the second one I would say, well, now the third one, since we already talked mm -hmm. about words, is building. So okay. This can be quite literal as a car mechanic or a construction worker, or it could be a little bit more figurative. For example, a web developer who's mm -hmm. building a website. That's kind of where it comes back to this idea that it's really an energy that you're in during that skill set. Mm. I think people who are builders need a lot more patience than most people because I want it all right now. Mm -hmm. I want the end product, you yeah. know? So yeah, I, I can really appreciate builders. Um, I would say a lot of them have a secondary core skill set. Another one is service. Service. And I do think a lot of builders, uh, either they don't have that skill set and that's the missing piece of their job where they're leading with their core skill set, but they're, they don't have that secondary nature to be in service. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then they need to make sure they really arrange whatever they career career they have going on to not rely on them being the service person as well. Okay, so service is the, the next one? Yeah, I would say the fourth core skill set is service. Mm. This is the humanitarian, the nurse, the supporter. Uh, this one is a really interesting one. It brings up an interesting question to me, which is around people-pleasing. I think a lot of people get lost on their core skill set because there's a level of wounding that might go into them choosing it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think, I'm a service person. I love being a helper. And it's like, well, did you just learn that way of being as a kid? Mm -hmm. And you have trauma in some way, and that's informing your decision to be a helper in the workforce? Or is this coming from inspiration? So whenever I have different clients with this or you know, whatever I'm doing online, I, I'm really careful to make sure that when somebody says service, I kind of like squint a little bit. I'm like, mm. tell me about your upbringing, you know, mm -hmm. because it's not to say that there's not people who have clean energy around being a service-based person, but I do think there's a lot of service professionals who were just taught to be that way in their lives. Yeah, that's an excellent check mark. I'm glad that you did that because I, I see that too. Like what's the service based on? Is it truly? So then do you bring them back to when they were kids and like what was there? Yeah. Like, how I did they come out? For sure. I mean, even thinking about me having worked in counterterrorism, I had an interest, and this is just an interest and not a skill set, which was part of my problem early in my career, but in politics. Like I grew up in a house where the news was always on, 
from a super young age, my dad and my uncles, I mean, one was Republican, one was super Democrat. They were fighting. <laughs> I was like seven with an opinion and I yeah. had nothing to back it. You know, yeah. I just had an opinion. And so it made sense that in college I, I majored and, and studied politics and ended up going into counterterrorism as a result of inspiration I got from what happened with 9-11. Mm. But I wasn't using the right core skill set. The one I was using, another one, is analysis. So the analysis core skill set is the researcher. It's the academic. In my case, it was an intelligence analyst, uh, an economist, whatever it is. That person is highly analytical. They're spending a lot of their time looking at information, finding patterns in it, uh, collecting information, going deeper on it. And mm -hmm. that was against my core skill set. Like, that's just not how I roll. So looking back, I'm kind of like, wow, I can't believe I led in that skill set and I did a decent enough job. Mm, I gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people, so people are basically in the workforce, not based on their core skill set, but being strayed because of interest. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah. I think that's where people get lost. And that's kind of from the beginning of our conversation. What I was noticing with you and in, in our conversation was just people talk about passion and I think it's really important, but it's secondary to, mm -hmm. to these skill sets. And that's why, I mean, if I look at the government and national security, it's a pie. There's many slices, you know, I can go over to the state department and use energy that's more diplomatic. I can be in the security energy, which is a little bit more monitoring. Um, the diplomatic skill set, you know, if I look at diplomacy, that's going to open up a different wheel of skill sets. That's going to lead with words, you know, maybe there's a level of analysis, mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's kind of like every industry has different slices to it. And it's really important to ask yourself, what slice do I belong in? And, and one mistake a lot of people make is they throw away the whole pie yeah. and they say to themselves like, eh, you know, maybe I'm not meant for government, but it's like, no, you just have the wrong function and skill set that you're using all day because mm -hmm that skill informs your entire list of responsibilities for the day. Yeah. And this is such a perfect conversation to have because right now many people are transitioning out of their jobs or out of work. Mm -hmm. So it's a great time to reflect on, you know, your skill sets mm -hmm. plus your interests and passions, but what are your true skill sets so you can go into a job and work, yeah. you know, and do something that you truly are aligned with. Um, and I love that you're putting this out there because Shoot, I wish I talked to you when I was 18. I get that all the time for people. <laughs> really, really, because I don't, man, I was like, I graduated with an economics degree. What the yeah. heck am I graduating with an economics degree, you know? Yeah. A business, so um, it, there was a lot of confusion as to where I didn't even know till like junior year truly what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to go to conventional medical school because I had my own opinions about it, but I had no idea what I wanted to do, so... Yeah. At least having this under identifying skill sets and breaking it down actionable, it's awesome stuff. I think if people really write it down and ask the question to other people about when they've been at their best or how people would use their time, and if they could look at these 10 and say, how are people seeing value in me and where do I find joy? And just remember, the words core skill set can be a flow chart into like 20 different jobs. And mm -hmm. so it's really important that people also realize that it's not like a death sentence if you don't like what you right. are. There's many different ways to express it. And yeah. there seems to be just a scarcity in the workforce. And you kind of having studied economics, to me, reminds me of a lot of people who say, you know, I want to make a transition, but how do I make sense of it? Or I don't yeah. want to start over. And my thought is everything you've done has a thread into where you're going. And I think it's just our job to figure out what that story is or what that thread is. So I'm sure if we dug into your work studying economics, because right now on your podcast, you're using words mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways in your career. I'm sure there's other things that drove you to study economics that mm -hmm. are maybe a secondary core skill set. Um, but I'm sure we could find something or somewhere that you were using words to really perform in economics. And mm -hmm. I think if you were in the workforce, you could really tell a story about that and make your make sense of yourself for other people who are listening. Yeah, I think, well, we were joking in the beginning because I was stumbling over my words, but I think words have always been like, mm -hmm. I didn't shut up when I was little. Yeah, you and uh, me both. We probably yeah. in trouble. I was always like in the back of the class, the special desk. Yeah, you know? I always, always in trouble for talking because yeah. I just didn't stop. <laughs> so so you, I, I know you can vibe with that. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually uh, in high school when hand sanitizer just became a craze. Like remember like uh, Bath and Body Works mm -hmm, hand sanitizer? Mm -hmm. and All the uh, different you know, scents. And, oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. And you were sensitive to smell, so you probably not want to walk past my desk. Yeah. I used to get, you know, sent into the corner of the classroom and I would have a little lineup of um, hand sanitizers for people who walked by to socialize with them. Really? <laughs> it was my way of 
have socialized. Maybe I was meant for 2020. You maybe know? you met. Yeah, you were way ahead of your time, I know, actually. I know. So, okay. So, are we missing any now? I, th- I think. Yeah. I think we did a so few. So we've talked about innovation number mm-hmm. one, building number two, words number three. We talked about service number four. Number five is motion. Um, so we haven't talked about that one yet. That's all about, or maybe even number six, cause we already talked about analysis. So mm-hmm. number six is motion. So that's anything from the fitness trainer to the masseuse, even to a tour guide. It's somebody who wants to lead with being on their feet. Mm. They get energy from being up and out all day long. Um, they're not necessarily somebody who's in the coordination skill set. That's a different skill set I was going to get into. Um, bless the coordinators, you know, so the coordination skill set is a little bit more the people who are the event coordinator, the operations manager, um, you know, like I just am so thankful for those people because that's not me. Yeah, um, but me definitely the the motion people, uh, you're going to see them on their feet no matter what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I know many people like that, mm-hmm. including my trainer, who's literally always out all day running around, yeah. working out himself, working other people out. Exactly. It's just, I'm like, do you ever go home and just like stop? Yeah. You know, so those are motion people. Those are the motion people. Okay. So now we're kind of working our way through. We've done one through seven. Number eight is numbers. I don't know if that was somewhat you. And, and that's the thing a lot of people ask me is, you know, I've got many of these core skill sets. And I'm like, yeah, but there's one that's obvious and natural to you that people really get value out of the most. Mm-hmm. And that matters more than anything else. Mm. Um, and when you put them together, it gets kind of fun. Like if you put a motion person with innovation as their secondary skill set, you're probably going to get a fitness influencer. You know mm, what I mean? That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Or a motion person with words. That's a tour guide. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It could be many things. It could be a tour guide. I mean, a motion person with words. Um, I just think of even in politics, like the level of schmoozery that I was exposed to. Uh, oh, like they're walking next yeah. to each other down the well, hallway schmoozing. Well, they're supposed schmoozing. to go to events all the time. Yeah. Business uh, development could uh, be that too. Gotcha. You gotcha. Know? All so, right. I'm starting to see the picture now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more, more about your core skill set, no matter what you're looking at. But beyond numbers, which I mean, we could all say is like easy, the, the accountant, the investment mm. banker, the n- number crunchers of the mm. world, which again, not my skill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thank God for that in my business. And then number nine is technology. So love these people so much. Like, thank God for the genius bar and me spilling coffee on my laptop, you know, once a quarter. And these are the people who can troubleshoot. They're the IT person. They're the artificial intelligence people. Uh, The world is really reliant on the technology people right now. And I'm always hard pressed to tell people just go where the world shows demand because there's demand everywhere. There's just more demand in some Mm -hmm. places. I think it's crazy to skip over what you actually want to be doing, how you want to be expressing your core skill set, just because you think there's more jobs or more business opportunity somewhere. There's opportunity everywhere, um, but definitely the technology people are, are crushing it right now. And then the 10th one is beauty. beauty. I love the beauty people. I'm like a wannabe beauty core skill set. These are the makeup artists, the interior designers, oh, yeah. people who just have an eye for aesthetics everywhere they go is more beautiful because they were there. You know, I'm, I'm working on learning how to decorate and stuff like that. And it, it makes a huge impact for me, but it's not my core skill set. Wow. You know, going through this whole list, I'm thinking of people in my life, my loved ones, my friends when I was younger. And I see like all of these pieces to them. Yeah. Like I know for sure, like my dad and my brother are people who are like in the beauty, like they are aesthetically like, how does this, do we make this look nice? How do we make this picture look nice? This apartment, everything is like, they touch is like, oh, wow, this was way better than we could have imagined. Yeah, that's fun. In doing this, I think I put myself in the service second, but the words first. Yeah, that's exactly what I would have guessed for you. The only thing I wasn't sure about with you, and maybe it's your third one would be like what drove you to even be interested in anything medical or health-based because I think there's something analytical to the sciences Mm -hmm. Um, or like research. That's another one. You know, like the analytical person is the researcher. Yeah, there's there's a piece of that. It was more so like social justice. Yeah. Well, like, I can get with that having worked at the Pentagon. You know, yeah. Have a little justice. Yeah. Like the fiery social justice yeah. part. Yeah. So, so, I, so now folks who are listening or watching can hear this list. Mm-hmm. And then get the book, which yeah. is called U-Turn yeah. and your podcast. They can they can get this list and they can read over and they go, okay, obviously it's expanded in the book. They yeah. read more into it and then sort of feel into which one you're, which one really lights you up, which, which one, one vibes with you, you. Exactly. which one you lead with, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then 
now they have this information. How do they go forth and go, okay, like what job do I do? What yeah. job holds this, all of these qualities? I love that you asked that question. You're obviously such a good podcast interviewer because I feel like some people will just leave it at that and be like, mm. go, go be fruitful, everybody, you know, mm-hmm. but this is an important question. Like, how do you put the rubber to the road with this information? I would say kind of going back to what we were talking about, clarity comes from engagement. It doesn't come from thought. You can't think your way there. So once you've kind of thought your way through these core skill sets, I think the next question is, how can you engage? Engagement can look like listening to a podcast, taking a course, hiring a mentor, talking to your friends, talking to your professors. I think that for me, whenever I kind of wake up and feel like my career is stale, I realize like, oh, it's time for me to have more conversations. It's a form of engagement that opens up my aperture and helps me see the world differently. So I think anybody who's looking at these skill sets, the next step would be you know, and even my book, I have an 11 step roadmap. So this is just one step. Mm. Um, but I would say, I would advise them to probably think about who they know in their lives that has some form of that skill set and start to come up with a list of different careers that they see people in that might be in that core skill set. Mm. And get on LinkedIn and send somebody a message and start having conversations or Zoom calls with people and just start networking. And I know it's vulnerable and a little bit painful sometimes, but it's so necessary. It's such a rite of passage. And the more you network, the more you can give anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I would say start having conversations with people that are using your core skill set and start to learn what they enjoy about what they do, what they don't enjoy. And I think the biggest message I could give people after they have those conversations is not to hold their career so heavily. I mm-hmm. think there's too many people just really overthinking it when it comes to clarity. And, you know, I find that clarity isn't really what people need anyway. It's more connecting to themselves, you know, it's like when you're in your body and you're not listening to all the noise yeah. and you kind of, you can notice where your body says yes to something when it says no to something. And I think your intuition can be so much stronger when you're tuned in, obviously. And so noticing when your intuition is saying, Hey, that, that guy's interesting, check out what he's up to, or mm-hmm. look into that. It's like, you can start following those little breadcrumbs and nudges that really do come from conversations. Mm. I've spoken enough about rituals and meditation that everyone here listening or viewing knows how to feel on their intuition. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome that you mentioned that whole part because it's so important, especially when you're networking or, you know, like it's vulnerable reaching out to all these people going, this, this person here is, they got something, you yeah. know, like I'm going to, I'm going to follow that trail mm-hmm. and, um, and really just figuring it out. So that's like the legwork part, right? Yeah. Like this is the easy part, figuring yeah. out what's in us. Like the real legwork is finding what fields are really aligned with that. You might find a job that you had no idea exists. That's the thing. And, and according to research, every five years, one skill set you have is becoming obsolete. Wow. So, Whoa, every five years. I know, except technology. That one is just on fire right now. Yeah, but even so, think about all the technologies we used to use that have like certified people. Like Mm -hmm. I used to use Infusionsoft for my business and I I know that they're still going and they rebranded, but it's like there's so many different brands that are no longer relevant in the same way that they used to be. Mm -hmm. And they have all these people who built their whole business around those brands. So That's incredible. Yeah. Things are changing really fast. Things are changing. But one thing that doesn't is human connection and conversation and I think anybody who's really committed to that, and, and some people, by the way, are committed to their limitation. There's something they enjoy about not having clarity deep down. Mm-hmm. They don't like to admit that or acknowledge that or even see that. But some people are kind of, think, you know, they don't want to be clear because then they have to go do something about it. And doing something about it is really vulnerable and stressful. Yeah, so, yeah it really is. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess the last question I would want to have is, what, what if, I know you kind of touched on this, but let's say I just found out my my core skill set yeah right and then i've called a bunch of people but then i go look i've been at this job for eight years Mm -hmm. you know i I have a i have a good uh retirement plan coming in the future you know i like i like the people i work with i don't really like going to work but i like just the vibe Mm -hmm. kind of yeah what do you tell those people who are kind of like why would i leave that it's so secure i love what you're saying because here's the thing i think there's two dynamics in your career There's what you do, that's your core skill set, your job title, your responsibilities, what you're using your energy on from nine to five or whatever your hours are. But then there's how you do it. That I think has to do with your core uh, core values and a lot more about uh, what you value as non-negotiable things or principles in your life. So for example, 50% of people leave their job because they don't like their boss. So according to the research, how your job looks matters just as much as what your job is. Hmm. And as a result of that, I think it's important for people to reflect on what are their core values. 
um, and, and can their, their core skill set and what jobs they unlock, uh, can they make sure that that gets met in a corporate culture that honors their values? For the situation you shared where it's like, I love the vibe, but I don't like the job, there's a whole field of research that I love called job crafting, which to me sounds like Star Wars, like, you know, mm-hmm. like job crafting. Yeah, it's it's all about basically how do you turn a bland job into a grand job. Mm. And job crafting is ultimately about you taking initiative in your job. And I think that comes back to what we talked about with core skill set, looking at what is the skill set that I want to carry with me throughout the course of my career, because we ultimately do seem to hone one and build our career around it. I mean, let's face it, you can be a coder at Google and the same day you can be a coder for Christian Dior. It's, it's the same skill set. Mm. And so asking yourself... How do I, you know, take initiative in my job and ask my boss to give me a project that would be highly valuable to them and call me forward and using the core skill set I want to build? Because when you write your resume, it's a marketing document. It's not something you regurgitate everything onto. It's what's relevant. And so I think from there, you're able to job craft a little bit, take on some new projects, and then take a look at the real estate on your resume. If 100% of your bullet points are just explaining your job, modify that so that 50% of it is about what you job crafted with so it can get you to the next place you eventually want to go. I love that. So even for the folks who don't yet want to leave, they can start crafting their job yeah, to be more aligned. Space, definitely. But regardless, they're still going to have to identify their core skill sets. Yeah, exactly. Which and is I think, one of the most important things. And their core values, you and know, like, values. which is, I think, and, and that's the thing about core values is that when, when people feel like there's something missing at work, usually it's a core value. Uh, like maybe they value balance or they value impact and they work for, you know, an everyday company that's not making a huge impact on like social justice or something like that. Mm -hmm. They're going to feel that gnawing feeling of something is missing. The people who are super unhappy, either they're not in their core skill set and so they're exhausted trying to go be somebody else Mm -hmm. or their core value is getting violated in some way. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to help people come up with maybe no more than five that feels manageable. More than that, it's like we're trying to satisfy too much in the workforce. You got to start a business. Yeah, uh, that's and and those are the values, the value part. Yeah, With the skill set and the values, understanding. So then you could just be happy in your job. Yeah, you can be flowing. You can be How excelling. Yeah, yeah, we should look. This is what I say. This is most of your life. Yeah. Imagine we see people at work more than we do our family sometimes, know. you know, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, um, I love that. Now you have your podcast. It's called U-Turn. Yeah. U-Turn podcast. It's Y-O-U and turn. Okay. And what is, what is that podcast? What do you guys usually talk about? What's the vibe on the U-Turn podcast? Yeah. Now? You know, thanks for asking. I love writing this book and doing the podcast, such a joy project for me. And it's been so fun to be met in the world. I, I know you get that when you're an entrepreneur or a creator and you Mm -hmm. create something and and it really serves people. Mm -hmm. So the show is really just to elevate your mindset and work in love. I want to have you on so everybody Mm -hmm. can listen to you on there, which is always fun. I'm I'm on already. Yeah, you're on. It's happening. Mm -hmm. And the book, I think, also is kind of emanated through the podcast. It's all about really getting clear in work and in love. I love that. Ashley Stahl, you are amazing. Thank you for giving us all this beautiful information. I have not yet had a show like this, so this is so special to me. I appreciate you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right, everyone. What a special, special conversation. I feel amped up because I didn't know that these parts of me uh, or skill set that I have really translate into this awesome criteria that she had. So I really hope that maybe some parts of you were highlighted and you can look into that. Uh, Her book will be coming out in January. So I will be blasting through that in Instagram and whatever platforms to help support her and empower you all. Thank you for coming. Thank you for rating. Thank you for reviewing. Thank you for subscribing. I love you all and have a beautiful week. See you next week.